All right, so as we stated, the Harry family is here today. Could you raise your hand, Harry family, okay? And they are going to actually be leading a fundraiser to actually continue the work down on the south side, ministering to the community of the inner city, working with the gospel of Jesus Christ while meeting the practical needs of the people. And so if you'd like to talk to them or receive an invitation for how you can participate in that, please talk with them after the service. They'd be happy to um, stay after, give you any information about the fundraiser, and it's a great effort. We as a church, um, on a monthly basis, um, get behind them in the first place, and so this is an extra effort to um, do that as they are ministering to the great needs of our city um, in a very practical way with the gospel of Jesus Christ, okay? So anyway, everybody doing well today? All right, let me tell you something. Um, I just want to commend um, our worship team. They are heroes. Can everybody give it up for our worship team? I'm telling you. It's like we are, we are out of the... Uh, we are out of the throes of lockdown, but we know that, you know, there's sickness that pops up and pops down, you know what I mean, throughout the week. And our worship team was ready in season and out of season, right? Isn't that what the Bible says to be, ready in season and out of season? And so they stepped up as heroes today um, when some of our worship team was sick and actually ministered the uh, good news to us through song. And so we thank you for that. So can we give it up for them one more time, please? <laughs> heroes. Okay, so we are on the heels of our Easter celebration, and uh, we hope that you were able to enjoy that. And not only uh, were we able to enjoy just Resurrection Sunday, but we were also able to um, celebrate with not just song, but also dance, too. Can we give it up one more time for Revelation 22 and the dance team? That was amazing. Amazing. And so if you have not been able to um, see how the gospel is communicated through the arts, that was one of the most clear presentations of, of the cre creation story, the arts, and everything that I've seen before. And so thank you, thank you, thank you again to our arts team as well. So what we're doing today is we are actually starting a new series on the heels of Resurrection Sunday. And that series is going to be called The Exodus Chronicles. Because even as we've talked about the life of Jesus and how Jesus Christ saves us from our sin through his sacrificial death on the cross, his burial, and his resurrection from the dead. Ultimately, what that means is we have the opportunity to relate with the living God today. We have a living God that we serve today, and we are trying to relate with him in a manner that is, number one, pleasing to him, and then number two, comes into the fullness of all that he's provided for us on the cross through Jesus. And so the Exodus Chronicles is going to obviously be talking about not just the book of Exodus, but actually the journey that the Israelites in the Old Testament had out of their slavery in Egypt into the promised land of modern-day Israel, and really using that as a representation of how God works with us, interacts with us, and leads us out of our bondage or our former life of sin into the freedom and the new life that he has for us in Jesus Christ. And so I love Romans, the book of Romans, which clearly explains the gospel. And in Romans 15, 4, he actually said this, that everything that was written in the past, which includes the Tanakh, which includes the Old Testament that we're going to be referring to, everything that was written in the past was written to teach us. So that through endurance and the encouragement of the scripture, we might have hope. Amen. 
that we might actually have hope that the living God who met with the people of God throughout history is the same God who's alive and well today and interacts with his people in the same way today as we choose to trust him, believe him, and obey him in the name of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to be following the scripture to actually learn principles of how to interact with God in such a way that he'll be able to not only be pleased with us, but we'll be able to come into the fullness of who he is. So today, as we start part one, we're going to talk about it in these three terms. We're going to talk about the fact that, number one, God sees, number two, God hears, and then number three, because he's alive, God acts. God, number one, sees, number two, God hears, and then number three, God acts on behalf of those he hears. So let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word to us today, and we thank you that you've given it to us, that we might know you that we might walk with you, and that we might come into all that Christ Jesus paid for at the cross. God, we're asking you that today, you would, according to your word, let faith arise in our hearts, that we would understand not only who you are, but how to walk with you in a manner full of faith, in a manner full of expectation, in a manner that glorifies you. God, we thank you for this time today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so first of all, the fact that God sees. When we're talking about the fact that God sees, we need to understand the fact that God has made great efforts to make sure that he's not at a distance from any one of us. In fact, when you did not know God, this is what Paul the Apostle said in the book of Acts. He actually said, was going around preaching in the pagan world, and he actually said that, listen, God set the exact times and the places that each and every one of us should live that each and every one of us should live, that perhaps we might reach out and find him, though he's not far from any one of us. And then God gives us a promise in the book of James where James, the younger brother of Jesus, basically said this, that whenever we draw near to God, God draws near to us. And God wants to make himself known, not just intellectually, not just emotionally, but even experientially in your life. And so even though you may have heard the story of God, sometimes understanding that God wants to interact with you in your everyday life is a whole nother matter. And we might find ourselves understanding the story of even the Exodus. And I'm not going to go into it too much today, but what we know is that after years of coming out of the uh, <clears throat> slavery that they experienced in Egypt, the Israelites were coming out of bondage and into the freedom of life in the promised land by the hand of God. And God said, listen, I'm going to bring you out of that slavery by mighty acts of my power and mighty acts of my hand, and it's going to transform your life as you know it. And so ultimately, there is going to be a different experience that you have when you meet with the living God. When you meet with God, things change. When you meet with God, things are different in your heart, in your mind, in your soul. How about this? Even in your daily relationships. If you're married, that means that things can change in your marriage. That the things that have strained your marriage before can be different because God has intervened on your behalf. When you have child rearing to do, you can know that God Almighty wants to be involved and intervene on behalf of the next generation that's coming. That you're not left to yourself to figure out what to do or how to do it, but God himself wants to give you instruction on how to raise a generation that will not only love him, but walk with him and actually glorify him. God says, I want to intervene in what you experience in your everyday life. But the truth of the matter is, is that we all start off having to press through what we call suffering, right? 
because we live in a fallen world, what we all experience in this world in some shape, form, or fashion is suffering. And it is a result and a product of sin. When you feel, when you experience suffering physically in your body, guess what? That is not always going to be the case in Christ. That one day there is going to be a death, a judgment, but then a resurrection from the dead. And when you are resurrected from the dead in Christ, he says, I'm calling you to a place where there's no more crying, no more suffering, and no more pain. Because the old order of things has passed away. And behold, he's making all things new. Isn't that part of the promise of God? When you are actually experiencing suffering in your life relationally, usually it's the product of some man or some woman's sin or selfishness whenever they're interacting with one another, right? When we're interacting with one another contrary to the character and the purposes of God. And that's not meant to be, but it introduces suffering into our life that God's trying to deliver us from. But when God sees us in our suffering, that's the good news God sees the suffering of those he loves. So Exodus 2, verse 23 through 25, it says this. During those, <clears throat> during those many days after the Israelites came into Egypt, it said the king of Egypt died. And this is on the heels of Joseph, who actually was used by God to save the known world by the hand of God, was placed by God through his suffering, in Egypt to save the known world in the midst of a worldwide famine. And said, during those days, <clears throat> many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. The cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant, his agreement with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. And so God says, listen, you are living in the state of, a, or the repercussions of a fallen world, but what I want you to realize is that I see your suffering and I know. Amen. I see your suffering and I know. And sometimes people don't call on the name of God because they think that God's too distant to actually <clears throat> be involved in their everyday affairs. But the truth of the matter is, wherever you find yourself today, whether you find yourself bound in slavery to sin or somebody who is trying to, by faith, walk with God and glorify him in all that you do, God sees where you are today and knows your situation. And that's good news, right? God knows your past. God knows the things that have happened to you. God knows the things that you've done. God knows the ways that you've missed it. God knows even your successes that he enabled you to walk in by his hand. But what you need to understand is that regardless of where you've been up to this point, God sees and God knows. And there's nothing that you've experienced in your life that God has not seen. There's nothing that you've experienced or done in your life that wasn't under the purview of God. And because of that, you can know that whenever God is going to get involved in your life, it's going to be a complete work. It's not going to be a work that is haphazard. It's not going to be a work that is unfamiliar with the things that you actually have to deal with or the baggage that you're carrying right now. You need to realize that even the, some of the ways that you interact with the world around you, it is a result of the baggage that you carry, not only because of the sin that you yourself have dealt in, but the sin that has been wrought against you. Amen. And when God sees you, you need to understand that he knows it all. 
He wasn't approving of everything that you've done or the things that have happened to you. But you do need to have confidence in the fact that he's seen you. And when he sees, you know that he has an opinion on what he saw. And he is able to declare what he saw, either right or wrong, based on the character that is good, righteous, pure, and holy that is always in him, found in him. And he needs to, you need to know that he sees the suffering of those that he loves. And if you've been walking with God for any period of time, you need to understand that even when you find yourself in challenging situations, never forget that God will, just like with the Israelites in Egypt, remember the covenant that he's made with you. He will remember the covenant that he's made with you. Has anybody ever, even as a Christian, experienced a period of suffering? Okay? And ask yourself, what in the world? I thought it was all supposed to be blue skies, red birds, right? And all things going well. But God actually doesn't say that, does he? He says, in fact, according to Romans 8, that I've subjected my creation to frustration so that ultimately they'd be liberated from their bondage to decay. Do you know that ultimately God allowed suffering in this world so that ultimately we long for something other than the fallen world in which we live? That ultimately, this, we're not here to create heaven on earth, but God's going to bring a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. The home of righteousness where he does away with everything that sins and that which causes us to sin, right? And so ultimately, he says, until that time, there's going to be suffering in the world. But just know this, that even in the midst of the suffering, I see and I hear you. And I will remember the covenant that I've made with you through Jesus Christ. You need to understand and read the covenant, though, to have confidence to cry out to God and be faithful to it, understanding that he sees. Charles Spurgeon actually said it this way. He says, because God is the living God, he can hear. Because he is a loving God, he will hear. And because he is a covenant God, he has bound himself to hear. God not only sees but then he hears. God hears when his people cry. And you need to have that in your heart and understand that, that if you have confidence that he sees my pain, then he, I can know that he's also going to hear my cry. But the problem is, is that most people intellectually have an understanding of the fact that God's seen my pain, but they don't ever make the next step and actually cry out to him. And what God said according to his scripture is not just do I see the pain or the suffering of my people, but I respond when I hear their cry. I respond when my people come to me in faith and actually ask me to intervene on their behalf. And this is what he's saying as we continue in Exodus. God hears the prayers of those who cry out to him. Exodus chapter 3, in verse 7, it says, Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land. Now, here's that, isn't that good news? That even in the midst of our suffering, God intends to bring you into a good and broad land. Even in the midst of the fallen world in which you live, God still says, I'm calling you to a good place. So that everything else might be going to hell around you, but you can still experience the goodness of God in the land of the living. Amen. 
It's not just the one day sweet by and by that we're waiting for. But God says, I'm going to bring you through Christ into a good and spacious place. A good and spacious place. And that doesn't always mean materially. That doesn't always mean without any challenges or difficulty. But it does mean that in the kingdom, that the kingdom working in and through your life, it'll be a good place and a spacious place in him. And to bring you into a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. To the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I've also seen the oppression through which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. So ultimately God said, according to his word, that he desires to bring us into the abundant life that is found in Jesus Christ. Isn't that what we see? Jesus saying himself, he's saying there is a real enemy of your soul, the devil, who comes to steal, kill, and destroy your life. And the longer we live as if we don't have an enemy of our soul, the longer we're going to get sucker punched. The longer we're going to get beaten upon, right? Anybody ever wake up in the morning and say, you know what? I feel my emotions are awry. I feel there are lies immediately as I get up in the morning. Anybody like me before? I'm not talking about like halfway through the day. I'm talking about I get up in the morning, I open my eyes, and the battle begins. And I'm like, am I even saved? Am I even saved? Because what was that dream last night? Anybody? Anybody do something in your dream before you're like, how in the world? That came out of me? Right? I know it wasn't something else. I wasn't watching anything. Yes, I do sometimes fall asleep to TV, and I probably shouldn't. But I know that was coming out of me. Am I even saved? Right? And the battle begins right as you open your eyes. But you know the only thing that begins to turn it around for me is when I begin to, whether silently because B's sleeping next to me, or I get up out of the bed and go somewhere, I say, God, I'm crying out to you. I'm crying out to you because suffering began right when I opened my eyes. The battle began. I would prefer to be different. I would prefer to be able to say, well, I'm super Christian. Look at me. Here I am without problems in the world, without temptation. But the suffering began as soon as I opened my eyes. And the only thing that got me over, the only thing that actually made me want to get out of bed is that I cried out to the living God. I knew there was a God who made a covenant with me, and he said, I've called you to life and life to the fullest in Christ. And it doesn't matter what you're going to experience in your day. He says, I'm going to meet with you. I'm going to hear your cry, and I'm going to bring you into the promises I have for you, even as you cry out to me. Amen. That is what God says. Not just that I made a covenant with you, but I'm willing to hear your cry when you call out to me, because I've not only made that covenant with you, but I love you, and I'll meet with you, and I'll help you throughout the day as you look to me. But what we need to understand about that covenant is that they're not only abundant life promises that he has for us, but they're also expectations in the covenant of God. He says, I'm going to remember my covenant with you, but even in Christ there are expectations for that covenant to be actually worked and in effect in your life. And those expectations are two, faith and obedience. Faith and obedience. Faith and obedience. This is why the Apostle Paul, even when he was talking in Romans, he actually said this. I'm, I'm going to explain to you this gospel that I'm, I'm trying to communicate to you that Jesus came to introduce you to. He said, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, which simply means a sent one, 
set apart for the gospel, meaning the good news of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness, meaning set apart by his resurrection from the dead, what we celebrated last week. Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom we have received grace, meaning God giving you what you don't deserve. Right? Isn't that good news? Isn't this the gospel of God's grace? That God invites us into the abundant life that he has for us, not because of the good that we've done, but because of the good he's done. And he says, I'm calling you to a grace and, and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith. The obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. So what does that mean? He says, I've made available to you an abundant life, but the expectation for you to enter into it is two things, faith and obedience. Faith and obedience. Faith that I've done for you what I've done for you in my sinless life, Jesus said. In my miracles, my signs, wonders, miracles, that I delivered people from tormenting demons and I could deliver you too. That I went to the cross to take the punishment for your sin. I've taken it for you. And I was raised from the dead to give you not only forgiveness of those sins, but new life in me, right? Put your faith in that. But also put your faith in the fact that I can set you free. That I actually called you not just to be forgiven, but actually set you free. I've called you to be forgiven and free. And it takes faith to actually walk in that. It takes faith to believe that you can be different than you were yesterday. Some people get into a rut and they begin thinking to themselves, well, this is just the way things are. This is just the way I am. This is the way I've always thought. This is the way it's always going to be. How many people have been there before? Come on now. It is the lie that we have to push past, right? This is just always the way that it's always going to be. But God gives you a different report. He says, I'm calling you out of your slavery and I'm calling you into the life of promise. But it takes faith to enter into it. It takes faith for you to cry out to him and say, God, where I'm weak, I need you to be strong. God, where I have reached the limit of myself, I need you to do something inside of me by the power of the Holy Spirit that sets me free from me. Anybody ever needed to be set free from yourself? That's what God's talking about. Set me free from me. So that's no longer I who live, but it's Christ Jesus who lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. By faith. And that faith calls you to an obedience where he says, now, here's what I'm telling you to do. If you want to live in the new life that I've called you to, here are the, here's the game plan. Every time you open your Bible, here are the steps. It's the word of life. Open it. Read it. Meditate on it. Chew on it digest it, and obey it, right? Yes. A lot of times people are asking the question in and of themselves, even as Christians, well, I've prayed, and I feel like you said God sees and God hears, but I've prayed, and I feel like my prayers weren't answered. Well, sometimes it's a matter of timing. Let me tell you that. Sometimes it's a matter of motivation, right, <laughs> where James says that we only want to spend it on our pleasures, right? So if it's all about us and not about him, then... He's probably going to be like, eh, 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 too many cookies, right? <laughs> sort of like you need some kale in there too, right? <laughs> okay. But he says when we've 
A lot of times what we fail to realize as Christians is that something that can block our prayers is a lack of obedience. Because he calls us to an obedience that comes from faith. Why do we say that? Well, when we pick and choose from his commands to obey, we find ourselves in such categories. Proverbs 15.8 says this, The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is acceptable to him. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayers of the upright are acceptable to him. What was I talking about? How many times have, I don't know how many times I've talked to people, and I'm like, listen, man, Jesus loves you. Jesus wants to give you new life in him. How you living? They're like, oh, I pray. I was like, I didn't ask you that. <laughs> I said, how you living? How you living? There are a whole lot of people who talk to God on the way to hell. He says, you believe that there is one God good. Even the demons believe that and they shudder. So the fact that you pray or count yourself spiritual, talking to God, according to God, doesn't make you right with God. He said it's faith and obedience that he's looking for. Psalm 66 actually went on to say this. The psalmist said, if I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. You hear that? He wants to see, he wants to hear, but if I had cherished iniquity in my heart, if I held on to my idols, if I counted in myself the sexual morality, the drunkenness, the impurity, the lying, the dishonoring of my parents as more important than obedience to God, and I started to pick and choose what I wanted to obey, he said he would not have listened. You see that? He's saying, I want to help you. I see your pain. I see your suffering. But this oil and water don't mix. Righteousness and wickedness do not mix. And if you had cherished sin in your heart, he will not listen. He said, but truly God has listened, according to the psalmist. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God because he has not rejected my prayer or removed his steadfast love from me. Because the psalmist understood something about the nature of his relationship with God. The nature of the covenant. And let's define some of these terms just so that we are on the same page, okay? There's a man named R.C. Sproul who actually had a great ministry. One of the people um, who actually wrote as a part of his ministry was explaining some of these terms that you'll hear over and over again in the Bible. You'll hear these words, sin, transgression, iniquity. But I remember when I first became a Christian, those were foreign terms to me. And when I talk to Christians in the midst of the Bible-believing community, they're still a mystery sometimes. People are like, I've heard it all my life. I've even spoken it off my lips all my life, but I don't know what it means. So we're going to define it. Amen. He said this, sin, transgression, and iniquity are different words in the Old Testament. Most of us are familiar with the Greek term hamartia, meaning sin, which conveys the idea of falling short of the mark. Do you think sin? Think falling short of the mark. We are made for the glory of God, but sin causes us to fall short of the mark. Transgression has the very basic idea of crossing the line. You know what you should do. You do something different anyway. Anybody ever been there? This is transgression. <clears throat> God has given us his law, and we cross the line. Iniquity has the sense in Psalm 51, remember David's great song of repentance. For example, of twistedness. Twistedness. 
There's a twistedness in us as a consequence of this. All of these words are different angles of one and the same reality. Our disobedience to God, our againstness, our hatred, our diversion from him. They say that the more important something is, the more words you'll find in that culture for that something. And there is an abundance of vocabulary in the Hebrew Old Testament for sin. But the great thing is, there is also an abundance of vocabulary for the idea of grace. So there's bad news, but there's also very good news. And that's the gospel of grace about which we speak. He says there's bad news in the twistedness that we found ourselves in. Some people not, need to stop blame shifting in here, talking about it's everyone else's fault why I do what I do. It is not your parents' fault that you're living the way you're living right now. It is not just your job's fault, your boss's fault, that you choose to be in the sin that you're in today. You don't need to go to sin as an escape. He hasn't given you permission to do so. He says, I'm calling you to grace. Which is not just you dealing with things, but it's being set free. It's being set free. Because he sees, he hears, and he'll make himself known. Because when he sees and hears, and somebody's willing to approach him according to his covenant, in faith and obedience, he'll act. He will act. But what we need to say is you must honor the son, not idols, for God to honor your prayers. Matthew Henry, the great Bible commentator, said this. Those that name the name of Christ but do not depart from iniquity, which we just defined, as that name binds them to do, name it in vain, and their worship is vain. So he sees, he hears, and then he acts. He sees, he hears, and then he acts. He acts on our behalf to set us free. And God acts on behalf of those who would respond to his saving hand in Jesus Christ. This is why in Psalm 145, King David actually learned this, starting at verse 15. He said, the eyes of all, not just some, but the eyes of all, the eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season, which means there's a timing to it, right? He sees, he hears, and then he acts in due season. You open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways, and here's good news, kind. He's kind in all his works. Do you know that even when you come to repentance from the sin that was killing you, it's because of the kindness of God? God says it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. Why? Because you're shown a better way. You're shown a God who loves you, who cares, who sees, hears, and then acts on your behalf. He said, the Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. Amen. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. And so we see that ultimately David was only reiterating that which the Israelites experienced there in Exodus. David knew that God sees, that he hears, and then he acts. And when we fast forward to the New Testament, we see ultimately this is all for, um, found in the person 
of Jesus Christ. God ultimately acted by sending his son Jesus to be the greater Moses to deliver us all from our bondage to sin. To call on God in truth, according to the scripture, means that you don't make up your own form of religion or spirituality, but that you submit to the lordship of Christ. You hear that? Especially in the generation in which we live. You're not allowed to make up your own spirituality, picking and choosing what you'll have faith in or obey. But you're submitting to the lordship, the rulership of Christ. When you fear God, it means that you are committed to obeying his commands because you know that he will judge all of your works. When you turn to God in repentance from both self-righteousness and self-sufficiency, you are clothed with the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ, so you don't have to depend on your own anymore. And that's good news. Because of the cross of Jesus, God meets us in our weakness and failings to preserve us and then teach us how to love him as he's loved us. And how he does that is by acting on your behalf. You drawing near to him, him drawing near to you, and by the power of his supernatural hand, him changing your heart, him renewing your mind, and then him empowering you in the community of faith in which you find yourself to run with him day by day in faith and obedience until you meet him in glory. God said that is his promise to you. If you choose to believe that he sees, that he hears, and then ultimately he acts on your behalf. Amen? So I want us to pray now. I want us to pray and actually ask God to meet us right where we are today. It doesn't matter how long you've been around the things of God. It doesn't matter if you've heard this many times before. The issue is, do you know that God's seen everything that you've been through or that you've done? Do you have confidence that he hears when you cry out to him? And then ultimately, do you believe that he'll act on your behalf through Christ Jesus whenever you come to him in both faith and obedience? Can we pray? All right, bow your heads, please. Father, we thank you so much for your word to us today. And God, we thank you that, God, you are a God who draws near every time we call upon you. And God, I'm asking that regardless of how people came in today, that God, there would be a new confidence breathed into them. Father, there'd be a new faith breathed into them according to your word and your promises. That you would, regardless of how people have lived, even for months and years of their lives, they would have belief for better things according to your word today. The abundant life in Christ that you have for us today and I want to ask if there's anyone in here who says you know what I've walked with God for even many of years I, I, I put my faith in Jesus a long time ago but truth be told I've had sin in my own life I, I know the things that I don't need anybody but the Holy Spirit to point it out to me right now I've held on to things whether publicly or secretly, and I've cherished those things in my heart that have kept me from actually walking in the freedom that God has for me. But today I want to lay them down so that God Almighty can not only see here, but act on my behalf to set me free. If that's you in here, would you raise your hand? I want to first pray for you. Okay? Anyone else? Anyone else? Good. 
Well, Father, I pray that you would see the humility and also the faith of those who've raised their hand today. And God, I pray that you would remember your covenant with them. That your covenant was not just that you would forgive them, but that you would free them from their sins. And God, I pray that by the fire and the power of the Holy Spirit, you would burn up the chaff in their lives and give them the ability to walk in the great joy of their salvation in Jesus Christ. God, I pray that you would surround them with brothers who would also be able to encourage them day by day unto that cause. In Jesus' name. And for anyone else, is there anyone in here who says, you know what, I hear this, but the truth is I've never actually submitted my life to Jesus. I've never repented of my sin. I've never declared Jesus my Lord. I've heard the story, but I've never given my life fully to God. But I know today is my day to do that. If that's you in here, would you raise your hand? We want to make sure that no one leaves without making their peace with Almighty God. Is there anyone at all who needs to do that? Holy Spirit, we pray that you would convict of sin, righteousness, and judgment, that we might meet you, not as a foe, but as a friend. And God, I pray for anyone in here who needs to be made a new creation, that God, you would meet them right in their seats today, and you would transform them by the power of the cross and your resurrection from the dead. Bring them into new life and eternal life in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, now everybody else, what we're going to do now is we're going to worship and we're going to give God honor and glory for what he's done for us.